I'd like to take a moment now to tell you about my favorite co-parenting app, FAIR. There are other apps out there, but FAIR is the only one that I recommend to my clients. We know that divorce is never easy, and when children are in the picture, it can be really tricky, especially when you're trying to communicate with your ex, and that's a challenge. Now there's an app with you and your kids in mind. It's called FAIR, F-A-Y-R. FAIR is the easiest, most intuitive, and conflict-diffusing co-parenting app on the market. It helps to eliminate misunderstandings while also improving communication between co-parents. Here's what the FAIR app can do. It has a time-sharing calendar, documentable text messaging, an expense tracker, a GPS check-in, and by the way, no one else has that, a monthly parenting report, a private journal, a file vault, and importantly, you can export all of the records into a convenient and time and date stamped PDF when you need it for your attorney or for court. And there's a Spanish version of the app as well. So subscribe at BeFair.com, that's B-E-F-A-Y-R.com, and then download FAIR from the App Store or Google Play. You can go to FAIR.com for more details and use the discount code SUSANG18 to receive 20% off. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. We are remarkable at every age, but I really think that we need to underscore how remarkable we truly are as we get older. Being an older woman is sort of the last bastion of politically correct, you're the butt of the joke. And I'm out to change that. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today we have a new friend who was introduced by one of our old friends, Jill Sharer Murray. We have author and speaker, Stephanie Raffalock. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I always know when Jill tells me I need to meet somebody that I need to meet somebody because our mutual friend, Jill, um, as my listeners know, she's been on the podcast a couple of times. Um, when Jill tells you something, Jill's instincts about people are always spot on. And I am so glad she connected us. Um, I have been enjoying, I mentioned that you are an author. You have two books that I have had an opportunity. I've downloaded them on my Kindle. I just told you I'm taking them on vacation with me because they're kind of spot on for my life where I am. And I suspect for many of my listeners, one of them, and I do love your titles, a delightful little book on aging and creatrix rising. So we're going to talk about those books and how, you know, how the heck that can apply to where my listeners are, which is very often in the throes of divorce or other major life changes. So again, so appreciate your being here. And I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation, Stephanie. Yeah, me too. 
So let's dive in first with aging. Let's just go right there because, you know, there's so much that I have been seeing lately. We've had this whole uh, Sex in the City reboot where there was a whole kerfluffle in the media because the ladies of the show felt that they were being kind of bashed for their appearance since they don't look like the old Miranda, Carrie, um, et cetera, gang now that they've come back years later and they have some gray in their hair and some wrinkles on their face. And we don't live in a society that really treasures or honors aging particularly. We spend an awful lot of time sticking stuff in our faces and putting blur I've got a blur on right now. I'm not I'm not gonna say I don't, but putting you know filters on. I just read an article yesterday about Madonna getting bashed because all the pictures that she puts out there have so clearly been put through, you know, a number of filters. No 62 year old would look like that. So you're, you know, the title, A Delightful Little Book on Aging. I was like, nobody thinks about aging as delightful. So wh why did you go there with your title? Well, I love the juxtaposition between aging and delightful. You don't yeah. always hear those things together. But I was, I was having this experience in my early 60s that wasn't um, going gently into that good night. That wasn't I mused up. I didn't want to buy into the myth of insignificance or irrelevance. I feel like those are calls that are coming from inside the house. So a delightful little book on aging is a series of essays about the remarkableness, the nobility of the passage that we call aging, which is really the third act. And if you look at a three act play, where does the transformation happen? It happens in the third act because in the first two acts of the play and your life, People are just trying to figure out who they are and what they're doing. But in the third act, you've actually got some time to slow down and step back and look at the arc of your life and this remarkable story that you've lived, this remarkable mythology that is unique and personal to you. So a delightful little book. A and it is delightful. And it is, you know, what's delightful to me is somebody looking at aging in that way. You know, I, it makes me think of something that I've noted in my life at times is I, I've lived in New York City or in big cities. Right now I live in Chicago. So I've lived in cities at different times in my life. I lived there when I was in law school. So I was a poor law student who couldn't do much of anything, even though I lived in one of the greatest cities in the world. Then a little bit later, I lived there when I was a new attorney. I was so busy trying to build a career and working you know, 80 hours a week that I didn't have time to enjoy that gorgeous city that I lived in. And now I live in another different beautiful city, but I am actually able now, a little bit older, a little settled in my life, a little more money in my pocket, I'm able to enjoy all that a city has to, to provide for me. And I just say that in that sense of, you know, it, I'm, I'm in a different place in life where I can actually stop, breathe, enjoy where I've been and enjoy where I am. Yes. It's a great analogy. And it's a great analogy about city because life is that like that. The landscape changes, but we change internally with the landscape. Spot on.
I'm doing my best to enjoy it. And, you know, when you and I talked about this idea of aging, I, I mentioned to you, I had found a quote recently that Jane Fonda said uh, about aging. And I just want to insert this here because I, tr I really loved how she um, sort of turned things around. She said, we need to revise how we think of aging. The old paradigm was you're born, you peak at midlife, and then you decline into decrepitude. <laughs> Horrible word, decrepitude. I like delightful better. She said, we should be looking at aging as an ascending, a staircase. You gain well-being, spirit, soul, wisdom, and the ability to be truly intimate and live a life with intention as we age. So she's flipping that paradigm to that staircase instead of this like, you're, you've peaked, folks, and it's all downhill right, from it's here. It's all downhill from here. I mean, that's right. the joke, right? Over the hill, downhill oh. from here. Right. Yeah. Yes. Well, and you kind of flipped that paradigm as well um, with, with the book, with the delightful little book on aging. And actually, as you go into Creatrix Rising as well. Because I want people to have something to look forward to. You know, we, we get a lot of anxiety around midlife about, well, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? And we spend a lot of time on our identities. You know, the identity of work is a huge one. And then people retire at 60 or 65. And it's like, well, who am I? Well, who am I? It was the same question that you were asking at 21. And it's actually the most relevant question that you can be asking as you age. Who am I? It is a time of, of awakening, of reawakening. That's what reinvention is. Reinvention is a kind of awakening. And um, I don't like the term midlife crisis. I don't think it's a crisis. I think that it is. Once again, you know, you're being nudged by the universe to like awaken to what's happening, what's on your plate right now. And how do you make the most of it? We give the advice to our kids. You can be anything that you want to be. You can work hard and realize your goals. But we don't give ourselves that same advice as we get older. It's sort of like you're supposed to be done at a certain point. If you look at companies that have target markets, the cutoff date is usually 45. You know, it's like I'm going to, I'm going to manufacture athletic wear and it's intended for 20-year-olds to 45-year-olds. What happens at 46? Apparently, we just sit on the couch all day. <laughs> a barca lounger, you know, and a dry martini. Yeah, well, and I think we've all seen those uh, sitcoms, uh, seen the, uh, those cartoons. And, and I think that's, you know, it really strikes me what you just said about midlife crisis. That is such a part of our vernacular. That is so embedded in our popular conscience that we don't even question it. I have heard it as a divorce attorney because we do see that people in, I'm going to just call, use the term midlife, we do see that many people at that time in life, whether it be retirement or it be where they hit their 50s, 60s, we're seeing a greater rise of gray divorce as people are, are divorcing later in life or after a longer period of marriage. And, you know, everybody sort of puts it to, well, it's a midlife crisis. It's a midlife, people in midlife are having that crisis. Therefore, they're getting divorced. They're making these, these horrible changes in their lives. Everything's falling apart. And instead of it being something that might be a part of your transformation, as you called it, or your, your ascending the staircase, as Jane Fonda so, so prom properly called it, you know, maybe 
it's not a crisis. Maybe it's a part of your evolution. I think it is part of your evolution. I think it is the great awakening. And awakening is not something that happens just once. It's what I don't like about the word woke. Because woke is past tense. It's past tense, right? It connotes that you've arrived somewhere. But awakening is something that happens all throughout one's life. And to think that it stops happening at the age of 45 or 50 or 60 or 65 is, it's insanity. Of course you would awaken to something new. Of course you would awaken to this new chapter. That's what we want for ourselves. And I think that where we need to start with changing the narrative is beginning with some of these stereotypical terms that just no longer serve. Yeah. I talk a lot about you know, the phrase divorce is a disaster. Divorce is a failure. Um, a lot of those. And I, I always turn that around to divorce is an opportunity. Divorce is the chance you have to have a better life than the trajectory that your, your current path is taking you on because a marriage that's not working is not a pathway that is usually fulfilling in a life in a, in your life. So I think of it as an opportunity. And I think aging, as you just said, you know, we are constantly evolving and, and it is what we should want. We, we, when you get into one place and stay there in comfort, what becomes comfortable becomes known and what becomes known becomes old hat and becomes sort of stale. And it's really the new experience of life and then create, uh, you know, we'll get into creating because I think that has so much to do with this, you know, that we really start to feel fully alive and realize our potential and continue to move forward. And that's really why you created the creatrix, I think, or, or at least coined the phrase creatrix. And I, because when you and I spoke originally about this topic, you said, well, the creatrix replaces the crone. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) because that's how people think of women of a certain age, right? We're the, we're the wizened old lady with the nose, with the wart on the end. Right, right. Um, Hopefully we're not that. So tell us more about the creatrix. Well, I didn't like that word crone in the lexicon. Um, It entered the lexicon in the 1300s and it was always intended as an insult. Somehow there have been some feminist groups who have adopted the word, sort of reclaimed the word and dressed it up. But I think that words matter. And I think that the history, the etymology of a word matters. And the word crone comes from the old French word carry on, which means the dead flesh of rotting animals. So it's not really a nice word. And, and there is a, um, there is an archetypal image around it, as you said, of, you know, the old wizened bent over woman, disagreeable old woman is really what crone is. So I was thinking about what would replace that archetypally. And and I talked to a friend of mine who's a Jungian analyst. And I said, if Jung were alive today, if Maria von Franz were alive today, would they create new archetypes? And he said, absolutely. It's a bold idea and it's a good idea. The word came up, creatrix comes from the three Greek fates. There was a spinner, a weaver, and a cutter. And the weaver was the creatrix. And it literally means a woman who makes things. Now, one of the reasons I fell in love with that word is that in the 20, a bunch of things happened in just like the last five, six years. Um, One was that in the 2017, am I saying that right? 2018 midterms 
Um, more women over the age of 50 ran for local, state, and national office than ever before in this country's history. We had um, a big blowout with hashtag me too. Suddenly it wasn't one woman keeping this dirty little secret. It was millions of women realizing that they weren't as alone as they thought we were, as they mm-hmm. were. And those things started to shift the culture a bit. Of course, the Bill Cosby thing happened and women started to find their voice in a different way. Creatrix, a woman who makes things, are the women that rose up. That's the voice that I believe rose up archetypally, that it was not the crone voice, but these older women that have some wisdom under their belt that said at 50, 60 years old, I'm going to run for office. I'm going to you know, get this out in the open, the hashtag me too thing. That's all great stuff. Yeah. Well, and instead of, you know, it, it, when you're talking about that, and I'm just thinking now specifically to the midterms when older women tend to do things, we often are faced with, uh, especially when we're, we're, you know, as with Me Too, when we are calling out bad behavior, are we calling out wrongs in the world? We get hit with the crone stereotype. We yep. get hit with the, you are mouthy, you are, you know, negative, you are complaining, you know, that it's, it's a very negative response that we get in the world. We are not treated in that um, you are creating a positive movement forward. How do you see that playing into the creatrix? How does the creatrix face that kind of negative, you know, response I think the creatrix knows she's a goddess. <laughs> I think, you know, I read this little article the other day that said the fastest growing religion in America was the goddess religion. I went, really? Rock on. Rock yeah. on. But, you know, I thought about that and I thought about the positive connotation of feeling one's power of, um, the creatrix, who a woman who makes things, a woman who is not afraid to use her voice, a woman who um, speaks up, a woman for whom courage doesn't look like a gold breastplate like in Wonder Woman. It looks like baby barf on your shoulder. It looks like skin knees. Um, it looks like um, lost sleep, you know, from doing something that you care about. It looks like taking care of someone. Um, all of those things play in. And I, and I think that we need to embrace our goddess selves as well as creatrix. I've been thinking a lot about this the last few days that we are remarkable at every age, but I really think that we need to underscore how remarkable we truly are as we get older. That, you know, being, being an older woman is sort of the last bastion of politically correct. You're the butt of the joke. Yeah. And, um, I'm, I'm out to change that. I love it. And maybe the goddess book is your next book. Maybe the goddess uh, book is my next book. <laughs> I was just thinking, I'm like, wow, that sounds like a book that needs to be written. And I think you might be the person to do it. Hey listeners, it's Susan. Just wanted to give you a quick reminder to go follow me on Instagram. My handle is at Susan Guthrie ESQ. And you can also follow the podcast at, at divorce and beyond. That's where you're going to find a lot of the backstory information, discounts from my guests and experts, and Hey, just a little bit more advice, tips, and expert insights to help you on your journey through divorce and beyond. 
Stay tuned for more from my wonderful talk with author Stephanie Raflock as we help you to uncover your inner creatrix so that you can thrive in your beyond. You can't just adopt a positive attitude and expect the hurt to go away. It, it hurts to get a divorce. It hurts to go through certain phases of life. That's just a given. You can go into grief and get stuck there, or you can go into grief and know that it's a passage. It's a storm that you walk through. We walk through a lot of storms in the course of life. The storms don't kill us. They don't knock us over. They do make us stronger. If you are enjoying this episode, check out last week's show with Jennifer Warren Medwin, who has some sticky notes with memorable tips to help you through your divorce or any difficult life transition. Human beings are always at choice. Here's the choice. We're either victims or creators of a situation in anything. And it's okay to park yourself in feeling victimized for a period of time. And then we have to move out of that comfort zone for there to be growth. And now we return to today's show. I am thinking about the women specifically who are listening to the podcast because I know my listeners and so many of them feel that they have no power in this moment in their lives, right? They're going through, many people um, even say to me, I get so many emails and, and so much outreach from my listeners who are like, I'm being divorced or my husband is divorcing me. So it's something that's happening to them. Um, I don't know how I'm going to support myself. I don't know how I'm going to, um, you know, go forward from here. My life is over. My identity is over. I'm a wife. Now I'm no, who am I without that? And you know, that's, that goes back to sort of how we talk to ourselves as you were saying earlier, but, and, and how we phrase things. But in that moment, I would think that there would be a great deal of power for women to embrace their creatrix, to help them forward. To embrace the creatrix, but also to face grief head on. Mm. Suffering is part of the cure and we avoid it like crazy. And yet grief is one of the great transformational forces in life. Women actually suffer better than men do. It's why they're willing to go into therapy and they're willing to talk about the pain that they feel about something. And when you meet grief head on, there's a chance to break through to the other side. Now it just becomes a lesson learned, you know, that the, the unanswered, the unresolved, the unredeemable is wicked away from the soul. And now you get to contemplate that and give meaning, the meaning that you want to assign to it. Well, first off, you may have seen me looking down and those who are watching the video, I was like, ooh, suffering is part of the cure. Women suffer better than men do and you have to meet grief head on. I was like furiously scribbling all three of those down uh, because to me, there's power for, for women, for the people who are listening in all three of those things, understanding that suffering, which is where so many people are, it, it, you know, being in that grief is part of the cure. So there is an, a, an element of embracing that grief for the moment, or at least accepting it and accepting where you are understanding, Hey, women, we've got a better, we actually handle it better than, than men do. Um, and then what do you mean by meeting grief head on? I mean that you can't, it's not something that you can avoid. You can't just adopt a positive attitude and expect the hurt to go away. 
it, it hurts to get a divorce. It hurts to go through certain phases of life. That's just a given. You can go into grief and get stuck there, or you can go into grief and know that it's a passage. It's a storm that you walk through. We walk through a lot of storms in the course of life. The storms don't kill us. They don't knock us over. They do make us stronger. And the fact that we've gone through them, and the more, the older we are, the more likely we've gone through more of them. That's right. Yeah. At 56, I've gone through a lot more than I had gone through at 26, right? Um, But I feel like, and I have to say, one of the things as I was reading the books is I connected with is that feeling of, I truly feel like I'm in the best part of my life. I think you I really, really do. I think that the, this part of the life of life can be the most creative part of life. If you're a mother who has, um, her kids are now grown and they've left the nest, you suddenly have some time on your hands and, and some freed up energy. Where do you want to focus that energy? Same thing with men when they leave work, you know, you've got this energy freed up rather than it being an identity crisis. What are you going to make now? What are you going to create now? And, you know, there are wonderful stories that abound about people that do encore careers or um, service work in their later years that makes a huge difference in the world, a purposefulness in the world. So wake up and love your life. I love the idea of that second career or new creation, but I do talk to people all the time as they're going through divorce or hitting a retirement or having the opportunity to create a new future as you do when you go through divorce. And they're like, yeah, but I don't know what I want. I don't know what to create right now. What tips you didn't know what you wanted at 20. So what do you tell people about how to find or how to connect with their creatrix? I'm a big proponent of writing down our stories. When we write down our stories, when we write down what's immediate in our life, even we get a glimpse into, um, well, a doorway really to the examined life. And sometimes just through the process of writing and getting ideas and whatnot, the psyche then takes over and begins to bring to you possibility. So I have this great idea. I want to write a book about this. And then three days later, the psyche steps in and says, no, what you're really looking for is a path to this. So I think you just have to get comfortable with the idea of not knowing is a great place to be. Nobody likes a know-it-all anyway. <laughs> True. So, <laughs> so not knowing is a really great place to be. You know, beginner's mind, as they say in Zen, is a good place to start from. Start from a beginner's mind. Start from like the rookie mind, from the, from the place where you don't know. And I would start by writing about that. What, it is that I, what is it that I don't know? And what is it I think I want to know? It can be a series of questions. I love that. I always tell people, because I get a lot of resistance, honestly, to journaling or the idea of writing. And I just say, you know, literally take a piece of paper and a pen and put it on the piece of paper and just see what you start writing just let some words come out. You will be amazed what comes out of that pen in your hand that you had no yes. plan to ever write. Yes. And it's a great early morning practice, by the way. Um, and there's lots and lots of books out there that can help you get started, kind of prime the pump 
Um, Natalie Goldberg, Writing Down the Bones. The book has been around for 25 years. It's a great book on on, uh, writing, journaling. Um, Christina Baldwin did wonderful books on journaling. Um, There's great stuff in that. When you know your own story, you begin to see your own mythology, and those bring clues as to what's next. And, you know, there's also something to that. I feel like there's a power in what you just said in by knowing your own story, you start to see what's next, but you also see that this difficult moment in time where you feel so, perhaps so stuck or that is lasting forever or is the black hole of your future is just one chapter in, in your life. It, it's maybe that I'm just saying it, it gives you perspective. Yes. And I think perspective is the right word that it does give you perspective. You've survived worse. Yes. Yeah. Because go look back a couple of uh, years right. back there. And and frankly, you're going to have worse in the future as well. There is no life that goes along without a bump in the road, without a pothole, without, without problems happening. Uh, the Instagram lives of people that we see on their, their feeds, those, we know those don't exist. Um, everyone has problems and everyone goes through the ups and downs. Uh, but I do think there's a very big difference in how we look forward to it. If we're looking forward to it with hope and anticipation and excitement, which is the creatrix, or looking forward to it with a feeling of despair and that you're done and over and it's just the downward slide of the crone. A very different, you know, internal dialogue that affects your external dialogue with the world. I really think that women are in a place where we just no longer want to be the victim. You know, that it it isn't just the victim story about our pain and our suffering. What we really want, I believe, at this point is we want the meaning. I went through this passage for a reason. What meaning can I assign to that? And um, I, I just think that, you know, victims and, and nothing but pain, um, I really believe that women are, are over that, that it's, this is a time to let go of that and um, march forward. March forward, hold your head up high. It doesn't matter if your knees are skinned. doesn't matter if you have mud on your face. You know, it's like march forward. You made it this far in life. Be proud of that. And don't let what's happening or what happened keep you down from where you can go from here. I love that you said that about we don't want to be victims anymore because that is an unfortunate byproduct of divorce for many people is that um, maybe it's human nature to look at why a divorce happened or why a relationship didn't work. And many people are comfortable with a concept of it being somebody else's fault that it didn't work, which makes them, puts them in the victim role. The other person did something wrong. If you're a victim, there always has to be a villain, right? Yes. So the victim villain thing is just, you know, it's just a vicious cycle. But I think that, that we all have the capacity to break out of the victim. And when you're not a victim, it was like, that was just a passage in my life. I got some really good stuff from it and I got some not so good stuff from it. And that's why the divorce happened. At a certain point, the bad outweighed the good. Good for me. I made a decision, you know, to take care of myself. Or if you're on the other side of that and maybe the divorce comes as a surprise, you go, well, I guess there's something I should be learning here. How does this inform my life now moving forward? 
I'm not a victim. So how does this inform my life? So much more power in that, that twist of how you are talking about it to yourself and how you are thinking about it internally. We have so very much power when we don't feel that we do. And it's all in here. Uh, For those who are listening, I'm tapping my head. It's all head and heart. Very true. (laughs) You know, it takes that strength and and courage as well. Uh, one thing before we we come to the end, because I couldn't end this interview without asking you about this, because we've been talking about creativity. And you said in our pre-interview that creativity saved our butts during COVID. That's a quote. And I, <laughs> I have to ask you to descri- explain that for my listeners, because I think you're, you're right. Um, it's a lovely thought. The people that brought it forward were the children. Here's a phenomenon that happened in this country during the first COVID lockdown that happened everywhere. Go figure how this happened everywhere. Kids drew on sidewalks messages of hope and love and jump here for joy. They painted rocks and left them around neighborhoods. I got calls from girlfriends in Colorado. It's like the kids, le- the kids down the street left me two rocks out by my mailbox. And so kids innately knew that you make things to make yourself feel better. And so I know women who got more into writing, they finally finished that book because where are you going to go anyway besides, I mean, my social life for almost two years was the grocery store and Home Depot. Or this, right? Yeah, Zoom. Right, or podcasting. So I, I had plenty of time to do other things. I got into something called Zentangle, which is, um, it is doodling at its ultimate. It's this like very creative doodling. You don't have to be an artist to do it. I'm not much of an artist, but I did these wonderful little Zentangle tiles that was quite, they were quite satisfying. There's something about the process of painting or drawing or doodling or writing that it calms us in a way. It's meditative because, you know, what's the point of meditation? Well, it's to focus your attention so your mind isn't all over the place like a monkey. Art does that as well. Creativity does that as well. And so I think that's what saved our butts during COVID. People got very creative. In my neighborhood, man, the gardens looked great for two years. Yes, Because because people were still going to Home Depot and, you know, you could be out in your yard and feel relatively safe outside that, you know, you could even see and talk to other people and it it was all, everything was going to be okay. Yeah. Well, and I think about when you say that about the kids, I remember seeing like the hopscotch on the sidewalk, but they would write little messages in each one of the squares. I remember signs in windows during Black Lives Matter and uh, a lot of the unrest we had in this country. I live in Chicago, as I mentioned. And so we had a lot of broken windows during the riots and all that. And people would put up plywood. And then artists came along and painted gorgeous murals. Um, when RBG, my my hero RBG passed away right around the corner from where I live, there's a huge like mural to her now um, that's that I can go visit at, at times when perhaps I'm not having the best of days. Um, and she's with me there. So, you know, that there, there were so many times and maybe it was that our lives slowed down a little bit and we were able to let our creativity out or for the very first time, start exploring it. So many of us who were so busy running around from day to day, we didn't think about taking chalk and writing on the sidewalk. Well, and priorities shift 
when you're confronted with something that is potentially devastating. Correct. Yeah. And so our priorities shifted a bit. And, and I think that brought forward creativity in our lives as well. I think you're right with that. And, and it's been, you know, it's been an interesting two years. I think we are in some ways coming out on the other side better off. Um, people tend to focus on the negatives and there, there certainly have been a large number of those. Um, um, no one will ever say COVID was a positive, but some positive things have come from that. The, the outpouring of creativity, the outpouring of care for our neighbors, our friends, you know, some of just the, the slowdown I think has helped people to reconnect with their families. And, you know, in my world, there's been this huge focus on more divorce during COVID, which is not actually true. And there's actually been so many couples that I know who have come out on the other side of dealing with the adversity of COVID stronger and in better condition. And a lot of relationships that didn't fray got stronger or maybe frayed, but then came back together. So, you know, there's, there's always a different way to look at things than maybe the popular vernacular, such as the crone. Stop looking at us like crones, people. <laughs> look at, if, I'm, I'm going to post, repost that Jane Fonda quote for people when this episode comes out. I think that's a Because you take idea. a look at Jane Fonda at 82 and you tell me she's a crone and then we'll talk about it, right? We are, we are right. way more than a little bent over lady. And we have, I mean, honestly, I, I really truly feel so much like I am at the height of, or on the upward staircase of my life. I love where I'm at right now. And your books are just absolutely delightful. Um, <laughs> and I really hope that my, my listeners um, go get copies. How can they get the copies? How can they get in touch with you, Stephanie? Well, you can always find my books on Amazon. You can reach out to me at byline-stephanie.com. That's my website. Um, my books are there. Links to my books are there. My blogs are there. Podcasts are there. Yes. She's, you are a woman of multi-talents and, and you're on social media. So I will have your social media handles, Facebook. Um, you have an author page on Facebook as well, right? Yes. And, and then you're on Instagram. So I'll have all of that, um, for my listeners in the show notes, I'm going to go and look up Zentangle as my next thing to do because it sounds, you know, it sounds like some fun. So I'm, I'm into fun. that. So thank you so much for joining me and thank you for helping my listeners maybe look forward toward that ascending staircase of age with a little bit more creativity and hope. Enjoy. Enjoy. Great note to end on. for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.